0: Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Welcome. I am Philip Watkins, head of ESG Debt Capital Markets at SNBC in London. On this podcast today, we are focusing on a key component of social bonds, which is target population and in particular, gender and racial equity. Positive social outcomes from social bonds for these target populations are increasingly profiled in global issuance. Though it is also the case that application could be increased in the market. To discuss how a focus on gender and racial equity to target populations for social bonds has been addressed in issuance, I'm delighted to be joined by two leading practitioners in the area, Natasha Garcher from the Impact Investment Exchange and Honus Mukowski from Enterprise Community Loan Fund, a US-based community development financial institution that piloted their industry's first racial equity bond to provide capital to affordable housing developers of colour. let's kick off our first topic. Uh, And the question is, how are issuers addressing gender and racial gaps through the issuance of bonds, and what is their profile? Natasha, I will pose the question to you first, and I would also be grateful if you could outline where you have broadly seen gender issues addressed in social bond issuance across markets. Natasha.
1: Thank you very much Philip. such a uh, pleasure to be here and join you and Anna on the session today um, i'm a senior director of innovative finance at the impact investment exchange and a gender lens investment specialist. And so maybe let's take a step back to talk about why gender gaps matter and why it's critical for the social and the green bond community uh, of ICMA to be part of addressing this gap. So the usual narrative is that women are victims. times more likely to lose their jobs during COVID, not the main combatants of war, but often the main targets of violence, disproportionately impacted by climate change in emerging markets. Yet, in my experience, at the same time, women are not just victims, they are solutions to a range of sustainability challenges that the ICMA GSS community is trying to solve. True gender equality in the workforce would help us increase GDP by $28 trillion to accelerate COVID economic recovery. Women are critical to climate adaptation efforts in sectors such as agriculture and water and sanitation. And gender equality is the single greatest predictor of peacefulness of a state. Um, Multiple feminist scholars have done a statistical analysis on this more so than wealth, democracy, or dominant faith. And so it is critical for our collective futures that those of us who are active in ICMA's social bond and green bond community must rise to bridge these gaps by channeling capital towards gender equality at a far greater pace and scale than we're doing now. And I've seen this manifest as gender-focused bonds across the world, in Asia and Africa through IX's Women's Livelihood Bond Series, which I'd be happy to share more uh, on later in Latin America uh, through IDB Invest's bonds, which focus on microfinance in Australia through QBE's gender focused bonds, which focused on women in leadership. And just to wrap up this point, let me dive into one specific way that ICMA's harmonized framework for impact reporting can really guide issuers who are looking at women, uh, girls, um, and other communities facing gender-based discrimination as their target population, which is the topic for today. So we introduced a set of recommendations last year focused on impact confirmation, which is a powerful way to hear directly from these communities uh, and these women on how social or green bonds are truly generating positive impact. So some issuers I know will see impact confirmation as an extra cost, but we really see it as an investment in accountability. Without checking whether or not your impact was truly experienced, um, we feel you are limiting your own ability to create critical feedback loops that will lead to more transparent reporting from an impact perspective and more informed investment decisions from a risk return perspective. Especially with the technology available today, this can be done in scalable and cost effective ways. For instance, um, we use a platform called iX Values to send out digital verification surveys or confirmation surveys to the target population. So whether it's a woman solar panel user in India or a farmer in rural Kenya, we can reach them, confirm our impact, and then make better investment decisions with a gender lens. Thank you.
0: Ona, I equally would love to hear your thoughts in relation to the application of race in social bonds, where I believe in the the US it has taken a, a global lead here. and It would be good to hear your, about your experience, and also uh, where you have more broadly seen racial equity issues dealt with in social bond issuance. Thank you.
2: Yes, thank you for having me today. Um, So I'm Anna Smukowski. I'm a senior director at leading capital programs for Enterprise Community Loan Fund. We are a community development financial institution, or CDFI, that is chartered by the U.S. Department of Treasury to provide fair, responsible financing to rural, urban, native and other communities that mainstream finance doesn't traditionally reach, largely due to race, geographic or income-based factors that make these populations fall outside of traditional credit standards. Enterprises lending focuses on real estate like affordable housing and community facilities. Nationwide, the CDFI industry manages more than $222 billion creating jobs, affordable housing, financial health and access to opportunity. 61% of CDFI borrowers are people of color, 83% are low income, 28% are rural, and 47% are women. Racial equity is not a new concept in America. For decades, racist policies and practices dictated how black, indigenous, and people of color could live their lives, the kinds of homes and neighborhoods they could live in, the wages and wealth they could earn and build, and the chances for upward mobility in life. COVID-19 and the murder of George Floyd really laid bare these race-based structural inequalities in ways that previous social movements have not, leading to an unprecedented $350 billion in corporate capital commitments to advance racial justice. These commitments converged with the growth of the CDFI industry in pursuing capital market strategies to take advantage of historically low interest rates. Since 2017, CDFIs have offered approximately 1.4 billion in rated offerings with increasing alignment to the ICMA, green, social, and Sustainability bond principles. For CDFIs, the use of the ICMA social bond principles and the harmonized framework for impact reporting allow an investor to see, down to project level details, how their investment is advancing racial equity. Social bond proceeds have gone to build affordable housing, expand access to credit to small and medium-sized businesses, and to expand initiatives aimed at wealth building for people of color. An example of project is a $4.5 million loan from Enterprise to Coalition for Responsible Community Development, a Black-led nonprofit that provides affordable homes and services to working class communities in East and South Los Angeles. Our loan financed the creation of a 50-unit affordable housing development. Paired with the CDFI issuance, several corporate issuers like Alphabet, the parent company of Google, and Aflac have issued sustainability bonds that provide capital to smaller unrated CFIs who focus on small business lending and affordable housing in communities of color. Alphabet's racial equity focus is on advancing economic opportunity and equity for underrepresented communities, including the Black Plus community, with specific definitions of their target population being Black business owners and or businesses that serve the Black community, startup founders, job seekers, and developers. Whereas AFLAC's target population includes minorities and businesses owned, managed or controlled by minorities or other marginalized populations.
0: Thank you, Rona. Uh, so if I may, Natasha, uh, for those who may not be familiar, can you provide an overview of the Women's Livelihood Bond series?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. The social bond principles were first published by ICMA in June 2017. Um, and it, I think it was just a couple of weeks later that Ix's Women's Livelihood Bond One was issued making it amongst the first social bonds in the world, but more importantly, and and something we were very proud and excited about was, it was also one of the first social bonds designed by women of color and used the proceeds for women of color. So before gender bonds and orange bonds uh, were um, their own sort of asset class uh, or cross cutting asset class, uh, it was one of the first sort of ICMA certified social bonds to focus on gender equality and was subsequently listed on the Singapore exchange. To date, uh, we have five women's livelihood bonds that have been issued that are collectively empowering 1.3 million women and girls in Asia and Africa. And these bonds use a very unique blended finance structure which uses uh, development finance institution capital for various de-risking features, um, credit guarantees, uh, sub-debt layers. Uh, And all of this has allowed us to really bring in a range of uh, institutional investors, Um, asset managers, super funds, uh, uh, and others who are actually ICMA members uh, to come in and participate in these bonds. So last year, even though the sustainable um, or the labeled or the GSS bond market uh, dipped by about 19%, I think it's one of the first declines we've seen in in about a five-year period, Um, We were delighted to be able to still place a $50 million issuance in December of 2022 that used the proceeds to empower women from low-income and rural communities in Asia and Africa to access clean energy solutions, electric vehicles, sustainable agriculture Mm -hmm. solutions, affordable housing, and financial inclusion, so diversified across sectors and, and continents, if you will. Um, And this really shows that there is strong interest from the market in gender lens investing through uh, ICMA certified bonds. And in line with the focus of this webinar we are confirming the impact with our target population, which is women at the last mile. We do this both pre and post issuance using IX values that I previously mentioned really to ensure we're holding ourselves to a very high standard of. Uh, transparency as set by ICMA's sustainability bond guidelines, as well as other standards that focus on gender and racial gaps, such as the SDG impact standards and the orange bond principles. I think all of these standards are evolving more and more to reinforce each other, which is wonderful to see. Over 16,000 impact data points were collected uh, pre-issuance to construct uh, the most recent women's livelihood bond. So it's very um, uh, well focused on the target population. Thank Mm -hmm. you.
0: Yes, thank you. That's very interesting. Honor, similarly, can you provide an overview of how the US community development financial institutions use social bonds to advance racial equity?
2: Definitely. Millions of people face barriers to opportunity based on race. Our goal as an industry is to break down those barriers so families and communities can flourish, and social bonds have proved a powerful way to tell our story to new parties looking to align their capital with purpose. In 2020, Local Initiative Support Corporation, or LISC for short, another national CDFI focused on comprehensive community development came to market with their Impact Note program, which includes up to a 10000000 million carve-out for racial justice through their Project 10X initiative. Project 10X includes investments in home ownership and small business ownership, investing in community assets and well-being, and supporting quality jobs with good wages and benefits for people of color. LISC received a second-party opinion through Moody's Investor Services confirming the bonds fully integrate 10x by allocating a specific portion of the bond proceeds. In 2021, Enterprise issued the first explicitly racial equity-themed bond with a $30 million bond with use of proceeds to provide loans to Black, Indigenous, and people of color housing developers under Enterprise Equitable Path Forward Initiative, a $3.5 billion nationwide initiative to help dismantle the legacy of racism in housing. In 2022, Capital Impact Partners followed suit with a $5 million racial equity bond to support real estate developers of color.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. So moving on to the next topic, Uh, the ICMA acknowledges that the definition of a target population can vary depending on local contexts and could also be qualified by addressing the general public. How did your organization's approach defining uh, your target populations uh, were there any local, indeed, or international frameworks that you leverage in that process? And I want if I can address that to you first, please.
2: Yes, of course. So CDFIs are regulated through the U.S. Department of Treasury's CDFI Fund, where we report portfolio-level data annually based on serving a defined target market or population. The certification is a vital stamp of approval to ensure accountability of our industry to end beneficiaries. The projects we finance also receive funding from numerous federal and state funding sources, which we look at as part of our underwriting to ensure our projects are meeting our overall impact objectives. Developing social bond frameworks is another way for our industry to translate a lot of government acronyms in a way that is adjustable to a more mainstream investor, allowing them to fully grasp the depth and breadth of how we select and underwrite projects and partners. Other frameworks that we've begun integrating include the Global Impact Investor Network's IRIS Plus Navigating Impact Racial Equity theme, as well as their overall metrics to ensure we are aligning with broader industry standards. Using a race-based definition for a target population can be challenging. People have different definitions and experiences with their own race and ethnicity, let alone trying to define it in a financial instrument. As lenders, it can also be a sensitive topic to ask for additional data that historically has been used to discriminate populations from receiving fair access to credit. When designing a bond with a specific target population in mind, I think it's important for an organization to do the work to know why the target population is being explicitly named, as well as ensure they have the existing infrastructure to diligence transactions that meet existing or new criteria without putting undue burden on the ultimate beneficiary of financing to share demographic or other sensitive information.
0: Many thanks. And Natasha, uh, and your perspective, please.
1: Yeah, the challenge for us is not so much in defining the target population, but maybe ensuring that we are giving them a voice in investment decisions and or in the reporting process. So on the gender side, it would help to be much more customized when you're thinking about your target population. So, and, and that would also define your use of proceeds. So if you're thinking about gender equality in Europe, it makes sense to have women on the board. But if you're doing it in Latin America, maybe you want to think about women in your supply chains who you're working with having equal pay or access to loans without collateral. So I think that's the way we, we would frame um, uh, gender equality when thinking about target population and make it contextual. So let me talk about how we do this at IX, and IX is a woman-owned and led firm based in the global south um, uh, in Singapore. The mission of the Women's Navihood Bond Series has always been uh, reflected in our commitment uh, to gender equality and diversity, and we do this in three ways. So first, um, over 70% of our staff who's working on the core functions of the bond Um, Structuring, portfolio management, impact reporting, investor relations are women uh, from the regions that we're investing in. Um, And I I do think that's a very powerful way to see uh, um, risks differently and also understand impact in a more strategic way on the target population. Second, the proceeds of the bonds are entirely focused on a target population where gender gaps exist that we're trying to solve. Um, In this case, it's women who are financially excluded or who are facing environmental challenges. This means we end up focusing on rural low income or minority women in countries like India, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, Philippines, Cambodia, Vietnam, and, and Kenya. And third, given the Women's Soviet Bond is a series, we issue one every year, we use the insights from the target population to inform our investment decisions. And we've seen a very clear correlation on how risk and return interact with and influence uh, the impact. For instance, um, the target population for one of our second bonds included women rice farmers in Cambodia. And during the pandemic, we've used insights from them to assess how to manage supply chain risks and climate change risks. And it helped us invest in a more strategic way in agricultural products in future bond issuances because we were listening very carefully to what the target population needed, equipping them to say increase productivity, water efficiency, earn a fair trade price. So that's how we think about uh, target population uh, is in, in emerging markets with a gender lens. Thank you.
0: Thank you both, yes. The next area uh, I'd like to move on to is impact reporting, which, as we all know, is a, a crucial element of the social bond principles. Uh, the question is, how do you, uh, and it's for both of you, how do you plan on measuring and reporting? And Honor, and it'd be great if you could uh, give us your perspective first, please.
2: Of course. So, CDFIs report on serving their target markets annually through compliance with the CDFI Fund. Which we see as a key way for investors to know if a CDFI is in or out of compliance with their intended purpose. CDFIs are also developing their own ways to be more transparent on what projects they've funded and how it aligns with their social or sustainability bond frameworks, like GLISC's Project Profiles or Enterprise's Equitable Path Forward Annual Report. To date, no CDFI is engaged in an independent verification of use of proceeds or impact reporting, but complete both mandatory and voluntary external reporting for government and private sector funders. An independent verification hasn't been something I'm aware of an investor requesting given our other mandatory reporting requirements. We thought it would be helpful to go through some of the racial equity reporting that Enterprise does as part of Equitable Path Forward as an example. We've committed to tracking and publicly reporting data like the number and percent of deals closed with all developers of color, the dollar amount of capital invested to all developers of color, annual unit production and commercial space square footage, the dollar amount of capital leveraged, and the type of sources such as public, private, or philanthropic funds based on a project's total development costs, looking at whether a developer's capacity has increased by looking at an increase in revenues in their assets, as well as looking at if their racial composition of their staff and board has changed, as well as other community impacts, which may include the demographics of the surrounding community by race, ethnicity, income, poverty rate, or jobs created, as well as looking at the discretionary income created for residents of affordable housing by providing them access to more affordable homes, as well as the income level served in the homes
0: that we produce. Fantastic. Thank you. And Natasha, how have you approached the uh, this issue?
1: Yeah, building off of Anna's points, um, we also see it's more beneficial not to rely just on third-party checks or second-party opinions, but also on first-hand confirmation of impact at the last mile with the target population, which, as we discussed, is now a recommendation per ICMA's impact reporting guidelines that I mentioned before. In terms of how we do it, we do an upfront screening of entities uh, pre-issuance, both from a credit and an impact perspective when we're building our portfolios. And when we see potential on the impact side, we also develop gender action plans to help entities more formally integrate women into their supply chains, their employee bases, or their customers. Um, We make sure uh, that we are measuring both outputs, like number of women, and also to quantify outcomes. So what do we mean by that? And, And this is honestly my favorite part of the work. It's very, very rewarding to spend time in the field and time speaking with these women to design the financial solution based on what they need. Um, I, I often think it's, it's interesting when we try to solve issues like poverty and inequality when we haven't experienced them ourselves, uh, so hearing from these women is, is very, very important. Um, so as an example, on the social side, we would measure the number of women, say, accessing agricultural loans, and a related outcome of that could be the percentage increase in income due to earning a fair price, or the uh, dollar value of uh, ownership of land. On the green side, we would be measuring uh, women's access to say solar rooftop panels or electric vehicles, and then estimate outcomes such as the CO2 emissions avoided as well. And so all the impact is then verified with a sample size of women uh, at the last mile, which would be your impact confirmation on target population. uh, uh, And we do this on an annual basis. Thank you.
0: Many thanks. Yes, and this brings us to our our final topic. Uh, And the question is social bonds Undoubtedly, it's seen an explosion of growth during COVID. Um, where do your organizations see gender and racial equity bonds heading in the years ahead? Is, is this a trend that has staying power? Orna, no, if I may ask you first, please.
2: Yes. Um, so for CDFIs and more broadly, I think I see us moving more towards using the sustainability bond frameworks, um, largely because it allows us to define target populations, but also address the intersectionality that many of our communities face when it comes to racial health, wealth, and opportunity gaps in light of a rapidly changing climate. Due to the history of redlining, a term that has come to mean racial discrimination of any kind and access to financing, but comes from government maps that outlined areas where Black residents lived and were therefore deemed risky investments from access to credit in the US. Many of our communities of color are in areas that are more perceptible to the impacts of climate change, like low-lying floodplains and heat islands. I also think that there is a great potential for us to use the social bond designations to educate stakeholders on other opportunities to address persistent gaps like gender equity. In real estate, there are many opportunities for real estate issuers to examine how they can promote gender equity in their portfolios. This process will inform where we succeed and where we fall short, setting the stage for future capacity building or technical assistance programs geared at advancing gender equity in real estate. For example, the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts female employment in the construction industry at a mere 11%, with some estimates recording that just one woman out of every 100 people in frontline positions on job sites are women. When the bulk of affordable homes are for female-headed households, ensuring those who are developing the housing are representative of the end beneficiary helps ensure a project is designed with the key elements needed for women, children, and families to thrive. Another area of growth in the U.S., is how municipal issuers are looking at race in the municipal finance industry. There have been several initiatives investigating how public officials can center equity and bond issues in targeted ways that lead to improved social determinants in their communities. Ongoing crises across the U.S. have highlighted the continued fight for access to clean drinking water in predominantly Black or Hispanic communities. These cities may not have as high of a tax base or credit rating needed to raise capital to address access to clean drinking water. I'm curious to see how the sustainable debt market will address these challenges. Outside of the US, I think there is additional potential for issuers to address race-based disparities for immigrant refugees or indigenous populations through racial equity bonds. One example I recently came across that I loved was the concept of a diaspora bond, which is government debt security, where investors drawn from the country's nationals living abroad, their descendants, or those from another connection to the nation. Diaspora bonds could allow governments and potential project sponsors or corporates to diversify their funding sources, while borrowing at below market rates and longer tenors, as the bonds could be offered at a patriotic discount or during a time of fiscal crisis. These bonds could raise money for larger projects such as infrastructure and social safety net programs while satisfying the desire of diaspora communities to contribute to improving their countries of origin.
0: Many thanks. Um, Natasha, if I could uh, ask you to offer your perspective.
1: Yeah, I think, I certainly hope it's not a, a trend or a phase. I think based on you know the wonderful work we're hearing that's happening in the US and beyond from, from Anna, um, the fact that we were able to close uh, you know, our gender-focused um, orange bond last year, which is also ICMA's sustainability bond, in light of the overall market of label bonds dipping uh, in the last quarter of 2022. Mm-hmm. I think all the, all of this points to the fact that issues related to race and gender that can be addressed to the uh, social and green bond market have proved that they're here to stay and, and to grow. Um, but it will not be easy unless we make some critical changes in the way we invest Um, a big reason for the decline in sustainable finance overall last year was of course what's going on in the broader economy as we all know but a part of this was also because of you know greenwashing fines critics over overestimating sustainability Um, but i see three key solutions and i think icma in particular has been very supportive of driving many of these forward The first is technology. A rising number of platforms are using tech to reach communities and target populations at the last mile to confirm how proceeds were used. And this data analytics can be then used to build useful correlations between risk return and impact instead of looking at these parameters in silos and where you end up thinking that your impact confirmation is a cost instead of an investment as well. The second is innovation. We really need to be open to developing um new innovative financial products that still align with the social bond principles but are customized to local requirements I think the diaspora bond which, which Anna mentioned is a fantastic example in emerging markets we're seeing the use of blended finance as I mentioned guarantees from development finance institutions have been instrumental in unlocking uh capital for gender and race related issues as we, we've seen in our own women's aviator bond series And the last and uh, certainly not the least is collaboration. Um, This is really not a zero sum game. Uh, We need to be talking with others who are taking collective action with other industry bodies, particularly those who are active in the global south that tend to drop off the radar. I'm thinking the UNSDG impact standards, the Orange Bond Initiative, and others who complement what we're doing uh, through ICMA and who are deeply connected with these issues and are using them to invest and drive capital towards uh, both race and gender equality, not as a trend but as a normalized way of investing responsibly. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much to to both of you. Really fascinating uh, content, and thank you very much for your your time, uh, the thoughtful and, and deep insights. And that brings us to the end of this podcast, uh, which only leaves me to say thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, we look forward to the next one. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icnagroup.org.